0: I appreciate that so very much, and uh, appreciate you being here. All right, how many of you have had a long week this week? Raise your hand. How many of you have had a tough week? It's just been really challenging. Anybody had a long, challenging week? Okay, good, good. How many are tired this morning? Yeah, I thought that'd be most of us. How many of you have stayed up too late? Okay, don't you have to be on? Oh, don't, no. I don't want to convict you. No. Just sense that everybody's a little tired today, a little worn out. I I believe that the closer we get to christmas and thanksgiving life just picks up pace, doesn't it seems to speed up we have a lot going on a lot of different things and so i trust the lord to give you energy and encouragement even this morning and i uh, appreciate you being here i mean that i know uh, it'd be much easier maybe to stay away maybe to sleep in maybe to do some other things that are pressing but i'll encourage you i think that you chose the right part this morning being in God's house, and the most needful thing. And I appreciate you being here. So I hope this morning, you and I, as we get into God's word, it'll be encouraging all along the way. Could you you do this in three seconds? In just three seconds, I'll I'll say do it. In just three seconds, I want everybody to either look to your left, your right, behind you, and in front of you, and give somebody a smile. One, two, three, go. Give somebody a smile. Good. Excellent. Thank you. Some of you. I was starting to get a little fearful. I thought your face had broken and stuck in the crowns. And uh, so I'm glad you can still give a smile good to smile. Merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the Bible says. And so no matter how difficult your week has been, how tired you are, it's good to smile. Allow your heart to be full of joy because that's what God wants. Last week we left Thomas, if you remember, and uh, in a very precarious position we might put it. Uh, we surmise that at the time his personal faith needed a spiritual boost. He needed encouragement. He needed comfort. He needed exhortation. We described him as the title of our message, Missing in Action in John chapter 20. And so he was. And we'll be there in a little while here. We said maybe he's wandering the streets of Jerusalem. His, his head bowed. He's, he's just uh, glum. He's sorrowful. He's discouraged. Maybe he's at home. He's wallowing in his despair. And, and boy, he is just, he's not where he could be. To get the encouragement, he is, as we described it, he's hopeless. He's hopeless. And as some do even today, the reality is because of his hopelessness, in John chapter 20, he missed the assembling together of believers because he lost that hope and he missed out on much. We'll get that in a moment, but I think this is important. A good question, and we want to kind of go back a little bit, turn the pages back, and we want to ask this question What, what do we. What do we know about Thomas, the disciple, before this event in John 20? In other words, what is his mindset like? What, what led to his actions and reactions, his hopelessness in John 20, besides just what had happened in Christ's death and, and, and burial and things? Well, what was his mindset going in? What was his attitude? How, how was he approaching life before this? And we think about Thomas there's not a lot written in the scriptures about Thomas. In fact, outside of the list of the disciples that have his name, there's only about a handful of references to Thomas, if that. And just a, a few uh, that we see mentioning him, and yet we can look at a couple and see what is happening in his heart. May I put it this way? What is his mindset heading in? What was his mindset that aided or helped him to be hopeless in John chapter 20. Well, we go back a few passages, and we go back to John chapter 11. So would you turn with me there, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, let's see one of these instances with Thomas that'll kind of... Um, clue us in here, okay? Find John chapter 11. Let me give you a little background. John chapter 10 tells us that Jesus Christ had just gone through in a very intense interaction in Jerusalem, uh, in the temple partly, and so forth, okay? John chapter 10 informs us that Christ uh, had been in Jerusalem, and uh, he had uh, interacted with the Jews, the religious leaders of that day, the, uh, the, the priests, or more importantly, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and others. And in that, he He had given a scathing rebuke he had instructed and taught the people and such and in that you know what he had said at the end of chapter 10 or near the end he made a a very blasphemous statement in the eyes of those jewish leaders he said i and the father are one now boy that set them on edge that was the wrong thing to say to them Okay. That, that was, that was, that just got them going immediately. And what's interesting, if we were to look back there, you would, you would see verse 31. And guess what it says? The Jews picked up stones. And I like this again to stone him. They picked up stones again to stone him. Why does it say again? Well, back in chapter 8, same thing had happened. In fact, he was in the temple there too. And uh, they had picked up stones to stone him. And in that passage, it is recorded that he kind of slipped through their midst. That he passed through their midst. So here in John chapter 10, it was the second installment of the Jewish leaders' uh, persecution of Jesus Christ, their attempt to kill him, their attempt to take his life. And certainly they probably would have lumped some of the disciples in that too. And so Jerusalem, let's understand it, Jerusalem and the surrounding area was a very dangerous area for Jesus and the disciples as we get into John chapter 11. So in John chapter 11, we know what happens. Jesus Christ gets word, and word is sent from Mary and Martha that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. He is not doing well, and we can imagine that he is sick unto death. It, it, it's serious. It isn't a common cold. It isn't uh, just a, a stomach flu. It's, no, no, he is sick and likely unto death in their minds. And so they, they send word to Jesus. They, uh, they get a note to him and, and uh, tell him, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus Christ, interestingly, here in John chapter 11, we're told that he waits two more days. He abode in that place two days. And then at the end of those two days, he declares to the disciples, we need to go there. In fact, he says, we need to go into Judea. One problem, in fact, one big problem, Lazarus and Mary and Martha live in a place called Bethany, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and immediately the disciples are like, whoa, 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 Jesus, do you not just remember what happened? Do you not remember them picking up the stones they are going to stone you? That is the last place we want to go, like a Michigan State fan wearing Michigan State gear going to the big house, right, in Michigan. Yeah, I want to go there. You don't want to go back there. They're going to treat you terribly. In fact, they wanted to kill you the last time. That's literally their warning. In fact, um, look at verse number 8, if you will. Let's look at the passage here, John chapter 11. Notice what it says. His disciples say unto him, verse 7, let us go into Judea again, is what Christ said. Verse 8, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late, in other words, just, just a few days ago, the Jews of late <laughs> sought to stone thee. And you're going back there? Goest thou thither again? You're, you're going back there? You want, to, you, you want us to head back to that place? In the verses that follow, he tells them Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, man, that's great. You know what people need when they're they're sick? They need sleep. And he just kind of shakes his head, you don't understand. He is asleep. In fact, remember, he waited two days. He declares we're going to Judea. They say we ought not to go back there. They want to stone you. Jesus Christ says Lazarus is asleep. They say that's good for his health. Jesus Christ, no, 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 no. He is dead. He's dead. He died. The sickness took him. And then he goes on to explain in that, that we are going back. Verse 15, he says, we're going. We're going there. Okay. So there, as they get it, nevertheless, let us go unto him, he says in the end of verse 15. Okay. So here's where we're introduced to Thomas. Thomas speaks up. Now, this is what I find interesting to say. Okay. Why is Thomas speaking up? Who's the disciple that typically speaks up? Peter, right? Yeah, typically it seems like it's Peter. I though you can make an argument at times, different times, different ones, James and others, but Peter seems the one to always speak up, right? Well, here he doesn't. Thomas is the one that speaks up. So it begs the question, if we don't hear much from Thomas, and there's a couple instances that Thomas speaks up, it would do us well to say, well, why does Thomas speak up? What is it about Thomas that causes him, motivates him, moves him to say something to Jesus Christ? Because he's not normally a talker. Some of us are talkers, we'll talk, we'll say anything, and so forth, okay? Thomas wasn't like that. Okay? When, when Thomas spoke, you, you asked the question, well, he's got something to say, what is he, why is he, why is Thomas talking right now? That's a great question to ask, and what he says is a glimpse, a window into the heart of Thomas, his mindset at the moment. Look at verse number 16. Let's read it together. Let's read what Thomas says. Then said Thomas, which is called okay, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I like that statement in many ways, okay? First of all, he's, he's, he's not necessarily speaking to Christ. He's not arguing with Christ. Because Peter would uh, sometimes argue with Christ. He's not doing that. Thomas is speaking to his fellow disciples. He's saying, okay, if he's going, we're going with him. We're going with him. And if he dies, we're dying. And I'll tell you right now, you know what that shows us? In Thomas, there is a great loyalty, If he's heading into the worst kind of situation, the worst uh, place, then we're going to go with him, even if it means we face death. And my goodness, such love, such loyalty really on on display. And that's why Thomas spoke up. He wasn't going to let Christ go alone. He was loyal to Christ. That's quite the mindset. That's a positive element of the character of Thomas. We also get another glimpse into the, the heart of Thomas, the mindset, if we could put it, in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Turn with me there, if you will. John chapter 14. Notice this interaction here, okay? In uh, John chapter 14, you, you'll remember that Jesus Christ is gathered with the disciples in the upper room. is often referred to as the Last Supper, okay? However, the disciples didn't know that uh, in the sense before his death. They didn't have an uh, understanding of that. And yes, for, yet, for several chapters, Jesus Christ is there. He's teaching them. He's preparing them. He's reminding them of things that he's already said about the future. And as part of that, he's reminding them that he's told them what? I will not always be with you physically. In fact, the passage here, he talks about the comforter coming. I have to go away so that the comforter comes. And uh, he's reminding them, I'm not going to be with you all the time physically. I'm not always going to be here on earth. In fact, the time is very short that we have left together is essentially what he is telling them. And yet in that, don't miss it, he's saying, I'm going to a better place. It's called heaven, and one day you can be there with me. That's the promise of John chapter 14. It is a beautiful promise, yet they don't fully understand it. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 14. Notice what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I like that statement. I'm going. I'm leaving. Why am I leaving to prepare a place? Now think about that in a moment. Okay? He was going to the cross of Calvary. Can I tell you, the first preparation for heaven, for you and I, was Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. If he was going to prepare a place, where did it start? It started on the cross of Calvary, where he paid the penalty and the debt of our sins. So he's going to prepare a place, and then he's going to heaven to, to get it prepared, shall we say, as the high priest, our high priest. I go to prepare a place for you here in the next statement, and if I go and prepare a place for you, verse 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, in the way ye know. And immediately, as Christ tells them all this good news, and he, uh, yes, I have to go, but here's the reason I'm going, here's the good benefit of my leaving you, in the face of that, this is again where Thomas speaks up. Now listen to me. Let's not miss the heart and mindset of Thomas. Here it was great loyalty that came to the forefront. We're seeing into his heart. We're saying, well, Thomas is loyal. He loves Jesus Christ and he's, uh, he wants to be with him. He's loyal. He's not going to. And when, when the, uh, the tough uh, times come, he's not leaving. He's going with him. He's going to go face death is what Thomas said. We come here to this passage, and you can tell he's troubled over what Christ just said. And can I tell you, you ever have children, you ever have your children, grandchildren, when you say something, all they focus is on one word that they heard in there? And that's all they pull out, and they like, no, 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 you missed the whole thing. you know, you know And all they're thinking about is that one thing. Well, you said yes, but what else did I say? <laughs> yes, after you do this, this, and that. And yet, you know, oh, but you said Yes. You know, they fixate on what thing. This is kind of like Thomas. You know what he fixates on probably? Well, pro, based upon what he says next, all he hears is this. I go. I'm leaving. I go. I'm leaving. Physically, I'm leaving you. The, the day is very shortly coming where I will no longer be with you. That's all that Thomas hears. And Thomas is fixated upon that. His mindset is, whoa, whoa, what? you What? What? You're going? What? You're you ever have, we have several children in our home that love to read. Have you ever carried on a conversation with someone else and all they hear is like one word while they're reading and they're like, what, 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 what? You're like, well, you should have listened to the entire conversation if you wanted to know what was going on. Thomas was like, he didn't hear the rest of it. All he heard was, go, no, you're going somewhere? You're leaving us physically? You're, you're, you're no longer gonna be with us? And that then in turn tells us, or (laughs) breeds the question, tells us what's in his mind and heart, his thoughts. Verse number five, notice it. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, wait a second. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? he's like man, uh, Christ, uh, Lord, we want to go with you. Jesus, we want to be with you every step of the way. I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going. I want to go with you. How are we supposed to know that way? Now, now, boil that down. What is he saying in that question? Well, he's saying this. Jesus, I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to be, not be where you are. I don't want to be away from you. Can I just put it this way? We said that he had great loyalty, but which is also true, he loves him greatly as even that prior, both of these passages show show both of these. The great loyalty, the great love that he has for Jesus Christ, okay? That comes shining through. He wants to stay with him. He doesn't want to see Christ lead. He He doesn't want to be out of his presence. Now, isn't this amazing? Because in John chapter 20, guess what? Jesus Christ shows up and who's not there? Thomas. He's missing in action. He has gotten to the point of hopelessness where he does not show up where Jesus is, and yet we read in John 11 and John 14, Thomas wants to be anywhere and everywhere that Jesus is. He doesn't want to leave him. He doesn't want him to go away. He doesn't want to stray from him. We would say if anything can be said of Thomas, we cannot question two things about him. What are those two things? He loved Christ greatly, and he was greatly loyal to Christ, even to the point of facing death. Do not miss that, because you say, what in the world happened? What changed from John 11 and John 14 to John chapter 20, besides Jesus Christ dying on the cross and his being buried? What affected this change in him where he's missing an action, where the other ten are gathered together? Why is he not there well, his mindset gives us a glimpse. See, this is the positive aspect of Thomas's heart and character. It, it helps us understand why he was so distraught and despairing. Why was Thomas heartbroken in John chapter 20? Because Jesus was gone. The very thing he didn't want to happen. The very thing back here in John 11 14, he says, I can't stand the thought of that. I, I, wherever you go, we'll go. We'll die with you. He couldn't stand the thought of not being with Jesus Christ. And so it explains like a heartbroken family member at a funeral, someone who loves someone dearly, and though they may see them again, the reality is their hearts are broken, they're sorrowful. Why? Because they loved him so greatly. So we, get a, we understand in this positive character aspect of Thomas, yeah, we understand when he's so distraught, he's in despair, but so were the other disciples. But Thomas loved Jesus greatly. He was loyal to him. Yet also from these two passages, we see a negative aspect about Thomas's outlook, his mindset. And this is crucial, because this is why we find Thomas in John chapter 20 being hopeless. This is why we find Thomas struggling in John chapter 20. What do we see? Well, we think back over those two questions of Thomas, or statement, one statement, one question. Where he says, okay, you know, let's go. We'll go with him. We'll go die. And then the next question well, where are you going? We don't know the way. You got to show up. Those two statements are very revealing about a negative truth about Thomas. What is that? Well, he had a tendency to fixate upon the earthly view instead of the heavenly view. He had a tendency to look at things through the lens of an earthly perspective, an earthly focus of the events taking place. See, the passage in John chapter 14, what's it all about? It's all about heaven. Christ making a way for us to gain it through him, as we talked about. He's saying he's preparing a beautiful place for those who trust in him. But Thomas's questions reveal his eyes are where? Here and now, the immediate, the earthly view. Now, don't miss this. Here's the point. He is more concerned about losing Jesus Christ physically in that moment than he is about what he will gain spiritually through what Christ must go and do. Did you get that? He is so concerned in the moment, I don't want to let Christ out of my sight. I I, I don't want to leave his presence in this moment. Not realizing that Jesus Christ has been telling him for three, three and a half years, I have to go, I have to do this, because if I do this, it will be better spiritually for everyone. And here's the end result. If I go and do this, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be with me eternally. Now, shouldn't that sound good to someone who wants to be with Jesus? Doesn't that, isn't that something that should have just thrown us, you you mean Jesus, we could, you mean in heaven, because of what you're going and doing, you're going to prepare a place, and we're going to be with you for eternity? We will be with you forever? So I have to go through a little physical separation for something much better? Okay, okay, I can do that. Paul said it, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Yeah, I'd much rather go experience it now, but if you want me to live, okay. That's going to gain, yeah, okay. But that's not his attitude. He, he's so caught up in the immediate right now. Christ is promising that he will be eternally in his presence. What does he say? That where I am, ye will be also. Here. You're going to be there i'm going to prepare a place where we'll be together for all of eternity and thomas doesn't hear that thomas is not fixated upon that he doesn't see it he only sees the here and now in fact i'd put it this way his view is earthly and immediate earthly and immediate both these passages show that (laughs) even in the passage about john 11 and lazarus okay let's go with him we're gonna go die you not think that Jesus Christ, who's already escaped the Jews twice before, can escape them again, if it's not God's will for him to be yet delivered? See, it's it's an earthly view. It's an immediate view. It's lacking that heavenly perspective. Uh, I, I like what Christ said right before in John 11, when he's talking about Lazarus. He plainly says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. To the end, here's, listen, we're going to go, and here's why we're going so that your faith will be strengthened. This is an opportunity for you to grow in your dependence upon God and your faith that God's ways are better than man's ways. You can imagine in the the minds of the disciples, they're thinking, you're saying Lazarus is dead, and you're glad you weren't there, and you you said this is a good thing? Yeah. See, a heavenly perspective is a whole lot different than an earthly perspective. An eternal perspective. The growth of faith is much greater than the earthly perspective. Well, you, you, you could have healed him in that moment. In fact, we would say this concerning Lazarus. Mankind looked at it, at Lazarus' death, and, and thought, what a terrible event. What a horrible tragedy that that should take place. And Jesus Christ said to the disciples, what? Well, here's what heaven says. Heaven looks down upon it, Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity for God's glory and power to be put on display. What, what a, a grand chance for the faith of these disciples to grow. I'm glad for your, in, for your intent that your faith would grow. Totally different perspective. Totally different view. One is earthly and immediate in its focus. The other is heavenly and eternal in its focus. Now, which should we have? What should Thomas have had in both of those passages leading up to John 20? Well, the Bible is pretty clear, and Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above have a heavenly mindset, have a heavenly eternal view perspective. Let me put it this way. And I I love when we can summarize something with an easy statement to remember right in our Bibles. Here it is. Okay. Uh, see things with heavenly vision and seek things with heavenly value. See things with a heavenly vision. See how things are working together. And, and uh, in this case, all right. see that Lazarus' death is actually going to be used and worked to the glory of God. See in John chapter 14, my departure from you physically is much better for you spiritually. I'm going to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. So understand it. See it heavenly. See it with a heavenly vision. And then seek things with heavenly value. See, that's where Colossians chapter 2 comes into place, right? Colossians chapter 2. Set your affection, your love, your attention, your desire on things above, not on things on the earth. Can I just tell you, let me give a little personal perspective that you and I can relate to. It is good to be with family here on earth. I am thankful for times to do that. Now, many of us have more time than others. Myself, being in the ministry, I don't get to see a family a lot and so forth. And uh, the pastors here, certainly Pastor Aaron, Ms. Heidi, likewise, we don't, we don't get to see family as much as we got Many of you here get to see your family more often than we do. And I am thankful for time we have spent in heaven or here on earth. That's, that's wonderful. But can I tell you, so much better than the time spent here on earth with family will be time in heaven with family. It is so much greater, so much more important, so much more valuable is that, boy, I I am most concerned with my family, knowing Jesus Christ, the value, the heavenly value, so that in the days ahead, as we set our affections on things above, as we seek his kingdom first, boy, the joy of heaven will be that you and I will be eternally together. Not so consumed with things here on earth. Not so caught up with the things that, that transpire. Let me put it also in context of this. Death here on earth is not nearly as dreaded and painful when life in heaven has our affections. Can we say that's true? See, death here on earth is not nearly as painful. It has no sting like it has for many other people. When you and I have set our affections on things above, when, when heaven is our desired retirement, when heaven is the ultimate goal of eternity in his presence, boy, death has no sting anymore. Death and the things of this earth, it, it really has no dread, no pain. But when it's not the case, death and other things here on earth, you know what that does? It erases hope. When our affections aren't up there, when, when our values aren't up there, when we're not, we're not seeking that or seeing things with a heavenly vision that, yeah, this is a, 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 a temporary sorrow, a temporary loss. But when we're not seeing it heavenly, the heavenly vision, oh, death here can be something that takes our hope away. Terrible events like Thomas' face with Jesus Christ's death and burial, uh, that that just erases all hope. And that is the view that Thomas had. It was an earthly, immediate view. And so, as we come to John chapter 20 and the events before it, um, he demonstrates that his view was much too often earthly and immediate instead of heavenly and eternal. And it explains his actions, his reactions. In John chapter 20, he was left, he was left, clinging to absolutely no hope. And you remember what we said last week? It's such a true statement. The only difference between the believer that is an active disciple of Christ, the ones who are gathered in that room, and the believer that is an MIA, missing in action, despair, and circumstances, is that one still clings to hope no matter how small the sliver of hope. It's so true. And that is Thomas. Thomas has lost all hope. He has let go. There's nothing he's hanging on to. His constant earthly fo- focus caused him to lose all hope, as we said last week. And we also said that he had showed us a great truth. A heart empty of hope often causes one to dismiss powerful hope-giving truths. Remember the ladies came? We saw him. Jesus Christ is alive. In fact, he gave us a message for you, Thomas. He says he wants to meet you and all the other disciples. Go into God. He'll be there. He's, he's going to show up. Now listen to me. The Thomas of John chapter 11, of John chapter 14, if his focus was heavenly and eternal, can I tell you, he would have been the first one in that room. He would have been the first one. But he lost hope because his focus was earthly and immediate. And so when Jesus actually shows up, where's Thomas? Anybody see Thomas? Why isn't Thomas here? Man, Thomas loved Jesus. Thomas was I can't believe Thomas. Can you believe Thomas? What, What happened to Thomas tell you what happened he lost hope why did he lose hope because his focus and perspective was earthly and immediate instead of eternal and heavenly here is where we find him And as we described last week I, I, the older i get the more i study this passage in the life of thomas i really don't think that one verse should describe thomas where he says as we'll read in a moment if i don't see the holes in his hands and his pierced hands and his pierced feet then that's when I'll believe. I, I, uh, the doubting, I don't think so. I think Tom, Thomas is hopeless in these days. Yes, it caused him to doubt. No doubt. Hopeless. When you lose hope, you, it certainly gives way to thought, uh, thoughts of doubt and such. But he was Hopeless. Everything had collapsed. There wasn't a star in his sky. There's not a horizon in his life, which he hoped there would be a new dawn, as we said last week. And so there he was, where we left him. He was the neediest of them all, and yet he was not there when Jesus came. And so now we go back to John chapter 20. Join me there. John chapter 20, if you will. And we come to the, the latter part of the passage. So we look in verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, we talked about this last week, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, unto the peace be under you, okay? And then we read down verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So he missed out. The neediest man missed out on what he was needed. And the same is true when you and I are missing an action from the assembly of the believers. So the question is this. What did he miss out on? And we'll be done this morning. What did he miss out on? What was it that he missed out on uh, here in this passage? Well, let's start with the obvious, shall we? Number one, he missed seeing Jesus. He missed seeing Jesus. This is the one to whom he was greatly loyal. The one that he loved like no one else. The one who was fresh off defeating sin and death and the grave. The one who had promised him and others a home in heaven. The one of whom, let's not forget for Thomas if he had just caught a glimpse of Jesus Christ's face. In fact, that's what happens later, but right now he misses it. See, a glimpse of Jesus' face in this moment would have erased all sorrow for Thomas. It would have changed his sobbing into singing. It would have changed his darkest night into a glorious day. And yet what happened? He is not there. He misses seeing Jesus. It begs the question, how many miss seeing Jesus in the assembling of the believers because they are missing in action? We would see Jesus. Yet Thomas, who's, who loved Him, was not there. To me, this is a great encouragement. Likewise, he, he missed the assurance of eternal life. Christ and His resurrection is what makes the promise of our own resurrection, our own eternal life, sure. He enables us to face death and grave without fear and, and with the hope of waking in heaven. It is because he is alive today that Christ lives. He is risen while you and I have hope of heaven. To have seen Christ die on the cross and then to see him alive evermore would strengthen in Thomas's heart as it did the other disciples the promise that because he lives, we shall live also. This is why Christ showed the other disciples. You remember what he did? We could read it there in in, in the verse. in, in Verse 20 tells us, you know what he did? Hey, come here. Hey, John, come here. Nathaniel, come here, buddy. I want you guys to see something. He holds out his hands. He shows them his pierced hands and his pierced feet. This isn't just Thomas. He shows the other disciples. Sometimes we say, well, Thomas said, if I. Listen, hey, long before Thomas said, well, I need to see the holes in his hands, long before that, what did Jesus Christ do? He showed the disciples. He says, come here, come here, let's see this. Look, look. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to know, I died, but I am alive, I am risen. I am the same. You saw on that cross the one who died for the sins of the world. I am alive. And my friend, you know what that means for you and I today? If Jesus lives, we too can live. We have life in him. And there was great assurance as they gathered around and like, wow, everything he said is true. He promised the resurrection. He promised that we would have life eternal. If he can defeat sin and death in the grave, then we too can defeat sin and death in the grave through Jesus Christ. Has great hope. And guess what? Thomas is missing out on it. He's not there. Oh, we also know he missed out on what? Great joy. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 of chapter 20. Notice it. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad. (laughs) They were joyous. They were glad when what? When they saw the Lord. We've seen the Lord. I love this part of it. They were overjoyed. I I can just imagine they were delirious with joy. We know several of the the disciples were probably somewhat emotional. You can imagine them crying and just hugging each other, hugging Christ. And they were so excited, so joyful. Could you imagine? Now, here's what's amazing to me. Could you imagine the change in the disciples from before that meeting with Jesus to verse 25 when they come and talk to Thomas? Could you imagine the change they would have seen in those disciples that Thomas would have? Before, Peter's hanging his head, and John, they're all glum and discouraged, sorrowful like he is. But now they've seen Jesus. When they come to verse 25, you can imagine their countenance has completely changed. Joy is emanating from their heart. Why? Because they've seen Jesus. And they come to verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, Thomas, verse 24, he wasn't there. He says, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, "Except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I cannot have hope." Thomas, why not? Because my view is earthly. It's all about the immediate. I've got to see it. I've got. To, it's all about what I what I know and what I've seen. And it's earthly. It's not heavenly. It's not eternal. It's immediate. The here and now. Yet here are these disciples, and he would have noticed. Man, you guys have changed. You guys changed. You spent time in Christ's presence? Yeah. And it was obvious in them. And my friend, as you and I gather here today, can I just tell you through the exposure to God's word, through singing songs of worship and praise, to having other people minister us in songs, you know what we want to do? We want to see Jesus. Because we know when we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, when we see him in our midst, where two or three are gathered together to worship him in his name, can I tell you, we get to see Jesus Christ. We get to see God in all His glory. We get to see our Lord and Savior, and we get to reflect on how good He is and how loving He is. That's our heart's desire. The story is told of a preacher that thought that what his congregation needed in preaching and sermons was simply beautiful epigrams, they entertaining stories, uh, uh, pithy antidote. He thought that they were hungry for glorious verbiage in how he spoke and the, the things he talked about, and then they were hungry for the bread of life. He, he thought they were thirsting more for stream of eloquence, a good speech, more than they were thirsty for the water of life. But he was mistaken. One day, the, he came into the pulpit, and there was a card sitting on the pulpit. Had not much on it, no name or anything. It was just very small, very Uh, poignant because of what it said, and it simply said this, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. At first, you can imagine, it angered him a bit. But given time, it made him think. Given more time, it sent him to his knees. And then it sent him to the pulpit with a new message. He began preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. He began speaking of the one to whom we owe everything. And as he did, my friend, one day he came back to that same pulpit. And as he approached the pulpit, there was another card there. And as you could imagine, he probably dreaded it. But when he saw the card, this was simply written. Then were the disciples glad because they saw the Lord. That's why we do it. That's why we gather. We want to see Jesus. Why? Because he brings great joy. He brings gladness to our hearts. Could you imagine what Thomas could have experienced that first meeting? In fact, it was intended for him. He was the neediest. He was the one that in the greatest need. He was the saddest, most wretched person in Jerusalem. But Thomas was not there. He was only experiencing sorrow. Not gladness, not joy. He missed out on it. And I think the most terrible aspect about this is what verse 26 says. Do not miss it. Can I tell you what it tells us? Verse 26 says this. He remained without joy for eight more days. It was eight days until Jesus showed up again. Eight days without joy. And I think of how many Christians go without joy on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, simply because they do not spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ. They they are not there regularly on their own. They're not there when the assembly gets together and they're missing out on the very joy that God intends for them to have. How sad that when believers are missing in action, we miss out on such joy. You see, also, not only did he miss out on joy, but he also missed out on the gift of peace, right? The first thing that Jesus Christ said, his first words were, Boy, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Boy, did Thomas need that. Boy, do you and I need that. When we gather together and together, I, I, man, I hope we experience great peace that only God can give. Thomas had no peace. His heart and head were in turmoil. He was tossed to and fro with doubts and sorrow and despair. That shows up in his doubts here. But he missed out on it because verse 24 says he was not with them when Jesus came. Here's another aspect about the passage. You know what else he missed out on, number five? Okay, He missed Christ recommissioning the disciples. He missed Christ recommissioning them. See, at this point, their great cause and program uh, they had been a part of it, seemed to come crashing down. It was an abrupt end, never to be revived. They were so discouraged, they thought it was so over that Peter and others went back to what? Fishing. I said, That's okay, it's, it's over. I get Jesus Christ's death, and... They are so discouraged. The program, the plan was over. What they had been doing seemed to not be going anywhere at this point. They were men without purpose. They were without a goal. But Jesus came and he recommissioned them. Look at verse 21. Notice what he says to them. 21, then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. All right, here's the next chapter in your life. Here's the plan I have for you this week. Here's the plan I have for you this year, this month, the rest of your life. Here's the next chapter of your life. Here's the calling. He's calling them to go conquer the world spiritually. There's a new purpose. There's a new goal. There's a new energy. There's optimism for the task at hand. But Thomas was not there to experience the blessing of it. What a law. He needed the recommissioning. He needed that pep talk. He needed to come into the presence of God and hear his Savior, see his Savior. He was not there. And can I tell you, it's never as good secondhand, amen? It's never as good secondhand. Hey, we learned this at church today. We uh, we gained this. Man, you need to learn it for yourselves, being God's word, assemble together. Oh, Thomas missed out. There's much to be missed when one is missing an action from the assembly. Now listen to me. Let's apply that to you and I. Don't deceive yourselves, friends. Here's great news. As the saints of God gather together today, uh, in this time, Jesus still manifests himself. He's still there speaking. He's still there offering peace. He's still there uh, giving encouragement and exhortation, giving calling, calling people. He's still at it. He still shows up. And in seeing him, there comes to you and I a renewed assurance of our own eternal life. Can I tell you, when I'm reminded in Scripture that Jesus Christ is alive, I'm assured in my own eternal salvation. There is renewed joy and strength and peace. My friend, tomorrow you and I need joy and peace as we go out into this world. When you and I gather together and we see Jesus, our hearts ought to be filled with joy. We ought to have a peace that passes understanding that this world cannot offer. And there is a new sense of the purpose and calling of life. You and I, we've got a great calling upon us. Now we've got new energy when we come when we study God's word. And boy, we're around the family of God. And now we can go out and fulfill the purpose that he's given us. And seeing him, we are strengthened for the battle and the conquest ahead each and every week. But if we have missed him, whatever else we have gained, whatever else we have accomplished instead, we've missed out on that which is worthwhile. There's one thing that we are absolutely sure the Bible is crystal clear on. If I have Jesus, don't miss it. If I am in his presence, if I have Jesus, if his presence is a joyful reality in my heart, nothing else matters. That is a heavenly, eternal view of life. It does not matter what this world does to me. It does not matter how much the devil dogs my steps. It does not matter if I can experience the presence of Jesus Christ and gain the joy and the peace and the comfort and the assurance of my salvation that comes from it. But as you and I miss him, if we, like Thomas, are missing in action, everything goes wrong and everything is disappointing. If you and I are missing in action in a day, we don't read God's Word, we don't pray, can I tell you, boy, our life can begin to fall apart. You remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? You say, "Oh, certainly, Pastor Henry, we've ever heard it as children. There's King Darius, and he made the law, and so King uh, the conspirators, the enemies of Daniel, uh, conspired against him. They made the law, don't pray. Daniel prayed. And so the, the ruling was there. you couldn't change it. So King Darius had to put Daniel in the lion's den. You remember what they'd left him there overnight, right? They put him in, they sealed it. Darius went back to the palace. Daniel was in the lion's den. Now listen to me, do not forget this. Darius was in a palace with all the creature comforts, with all the luxuries, and you know what? Did not sleep. It was wretched. It was terrible in that palace. It was the most terrible thing. Darius couldn't sleep. He couldn't do anything. He, he, he couldn't get his mind off of it. In the morning, he comes running to the lion's den, and he calls Daniel, Daniel, Daniel! Daniel's like, yeah, why the early wake-up call, Darius? What? Yeah, why? Because there was peace. There's joy in the Daniel, in the lion's den with Daniel when in the palace there was turmoil and wretchedness. How can that be? Because in the lion's den, God was with Daniel. He was in the presence of God. You see, that restlessness, that wretchedness of the palace compared not at all to the peace and joy found in the lion's den. All because of the presence of God. Forgive me, I'll take... Just a couple more minutes. Let me tell you this. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever read a story or maybe you watched a movie and it's a terrible ending? It's horrible. I hate that when I've gotten through an entire book and it's a terrible ending. I don't write the author and said, You you just made me waste so much time. Because I want a good ending. Can I tell you right now there's a good ending to the story? Eusebius, the historian, this is what he tells us about Thomas. He was sent to Parthia, a region of northwest Iran, currently, or uh, modernly, to preach the gospel. Fox's book of martyrs, in fact, he records this they record the Fox records the same thing um, and adds a little bit to it. It says this, that he preached the gospel in Parthia in India, where exciting the rage of the pagan priest, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Now let me that does not sound like someone who's living a life full of hopelessness. What changed? What happened? Well, can I just tell you, he admitted his need to gather in the assembly. He, he, he allowed the smallest sliver of hope. Now listen, what did he say to the disciples? Man, until I see this, until I see this, I'm, 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 I'm no, I'm not going to believe. But can I tell you, do not miss it. Eight days later, they're gathered together. Who's there? Thomas you know what he chose all right I'm going to have a little bit of an eternal and heavenly view I'm going to grab a sliver of hope and he shows up he shows up in the assembly he gathers together look at verse 26 quickly verse 26 the first part and after eight days again the disciples were within and Thomas with them he gathered all right I may be a little sorrowful. I may be in despair, but I'm going to grasp a little bit of hope. I'm going to have a little bit of a heavenly outlook. And he comes. He's with them now. He refused to remain hopeless in a way. And as he promised to do, as Christ has promised to do, to all that gather in his name, Christ came and he spoke to Thomas. Look at the rest of verse 26, and we're done. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. Can I just tell you, if you're Thomas, you're thinking, oh goodness, Jesus heard everything I said. Because it's almost verbatim. (laughs) Okay, hey Thomas, stick your hand here, stick your hand here. Ooh, I think he heard him. He says, I will not believe. He says, don't be non-believing but believe. Man, can I tell you, Christ knows your thoughts. He knows your words. So Thomas comes. Jesus Christ speaks to him. Now listen to me. In that moment, when he catches a glimpse of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ talks to Thomas, joy, gladness, peace, assurance of eternal life, great hope erupts in Thomas. There's immediate change. You can imagine, and certainly in his countenance, but also in the heart of Thomas. He now has a renewed purpose in life, a renewed love for Christ, and of great importance, his eyes are open to a heavenly view and an eternal perspective. Look at verse 28. Notice what he says. And Thomas answered unto him, my Lord and my God. You know what God is? God is eternal. You know what he just said, Thomas said? you're not only my Savior, you're not only my Lord, but you are my God because you are eternal, you are the God of all things, and now I have a heavenly perspective. Now I'm going forward. Now I have hope. And as he clung to what he had, hope is restored, strengthened, and now he's ready to go forward. What a joy it is when one missing in action returns and is restored to the assembly. Can I tell you what a joyous occasion that would have been in that room? Those eleven disciples, Jesus Christ, whoever was gathered, rejoice in that. Can I just encourage you this morning, don't be missing in action, Christian, ever again. Whether it's the gathering of the assembly or your time with Christ and God and His Word, don't be missing in action. You miss out on so much that God has planned. Make sure you have a heavenly eternal vision, not an earthly immediate perspective. Don't lose hope because your vision is wrong. Let me just put it this way. As we head in this invitation, I'd encourage you to do three things. If we'd all would pray these things, if we'd all make this a matter of prayer, even in this invitation, God would do a wondrous work in our midst. Number one, ask God today to help us see things with heavenly vision and seek things of heavenly value. Father, would you help me today? I don't want to lose hope because I've lost a heavenly vision. I don't want to lose hope because I'm not seeking things of heavenly value but earthly value. Lord, I don't want that in my life. Would you show it to me where I'm wrong, where my vision's wrong, where my valuation is wrong? Show it to me. Reveal it. Help me to get it back to where it needs to be. Number two, as we do that, then let's ask God to give us great hope for every day. Father, help me to wake up today full of hope because I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are my Lord and my God. I can face today because I'm clinging to hope. Then last but not least, may we ask him that every single time we assemble, Father, every time I open your word, every time I go to church, may we see Jesus. May we see you. And Father, as we do, would you just give us great joy? Father, we thank you for your word today. I am grateful for the truth of this story. And Lord, what a delight it has been to study the last two weeks. And uh, Father, what a joy it has been in my own heart and life to see the life of Thomas, to see the things of his mindset, his heart attitude leading up to John 20. And my Father, I pray now that as we have studied much, we have covered much, that you would boil it down through your Holy Spirit for us to do something with. And we take these truths we just mentioned, Father, and may we pray for these things. May we seek to have a heavenly vision. May we seek to uh, things of heavenly value. And uh, Father, in doing so, may you give us great hope for every day. May we not be a hopeless people, but may we be a hopeful people based on what you are and what you've done. Based on Jesus Christ and his defeat of sin and death in the grave. And then, my Father, I pray that every time we open your word and every time we gather within these walls that we would see Jesus Christ. Through the window of your word, through the times of worship and praise and song, may we see you even in the countenance of one another, may we see Jesus. And, Father, may we never be missing in action. Would you help us to be faithful, even as you, our God, are always faithful to us. My Father, bless this invitation. Would you work, and would you hear our prayers, and would you answer, and would you do a great work in our midst, in our lives, in our families, in our church. We'll give you the glory for it.